now that we've looked at the scriptures, now let's see where the, the Holy Spirit plays a role in, in our prayer. Um, I can be, you know, on a lot of things I can be, well, fairly easygoing, but then there's a few things where I'm very particular. Uh, so I am a musical instrument snob, uh, and I think that comes from being in the, in the world for a little while. But you know, there, are, there are musical instrument companies, um, and I'm not picking up, but like make our, our piano that we have. The company that made our piano, which is a very nice piano, also make motorbikes. And they make boats. And they make chainsaws. They make all sorts of things in that company. Now, if you buy uh, an instrument from one of these companies, particularly this, you'll know it, it works. And it works well. Um, you know, you hear us play this piano every Sunday. It works. It sounds good. It's lasted us a long time. It's a good piano. You know that it's going to work. But then there are other companies that make these. So for a while, I worked in a piano shop. And we sold pianos like this. But we had pianos in there from companies that all they did was make pianos. In fact, all they did was make a couple of pianos a year. And you play this piano, or something like it, you think that's a nice piano, and you know it works. But then you go to a company where all they do is just make that one type of instrument, maybe that one piano. And you play that piano, and it's something different. It works. You know it works. But there's something about that piano that makes you want to play it. It's designed specifically to play. And that's what we want from our prayers. Right? We don't want prayer that just works. We want prayer where you want to pray. Where it draws you in. Where you are connected to it and excited about it. That you find what we are supposed to find in prayer, and we, we said it this way a little bit last week, because we want to move from just believing that prayer works, and that is that saying it works, and knowing, say, the Bible teaches it, to knowing that prayer works. That is, I'm not just going to talk about it, but I'm happy with my satisfied life, and think that it's for somebody else, but that I actually know that prayer is what God intended it to be. Satisfying, and enjoyable, and good in my own life. So we started last week uh, out of these four basic principles we're building on uh, as we'll continue on with. So last week we talked about how our abiding guides our asking. Uh, and that is that we're, we're basing our prayers in worship. So we open up the scriptures and we see what it says about God and we start there with worship. Uh, starting with an open Bible. And we do that so that we can let God speak first. So God speaks to us as we read his word, and then we respond in our, our prayer. And so that way it means that the prayer doesn't just find itself only in that moment. But because I have sat and I have listened to God's word, and I've let him speak to me, and I've found out something about who he is, and I've spent some time in it, then that is going to be with me all day long. And so when I come to a point in my life, in that day, when I need to pray, I'm not starting on an empty tank. I've filled up my tank that morning about something about God, and I've been mulling on it, and I've been thinking about it all day long, and when I need to pray during that day, I've got something to draw on. 
because I've already put it in there. Uh, and so it builds on that. So tonight we're going to go to this next principle, which is how his spirit ignites our supplication. And then next week, uh, how his name corrects our nonsense. And then the fourth of those principles, how revelation motivates our response. So let's start tonight in John chapter 16. There's a lot of verses we'll pick back and forth and refer to, but we're going to start in John chapter 16 and read a couple of verses here, verse 13 and 14, and then we will jump to there. So John chapter 16 and verse 13. Jesus says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Let's, uh, let's pray. Oh God, as we come to your word this evening, indeed, we are listening for your voice, we're listening to learn and to grow. And so please, Lord, may the Spirit open our eyes and teach us, help us learn how to apply what you have revealed to us in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in John chapter 16, so throughout this section, John 14 and John 16 particularly, Jesus is talking to us about what's going to happen when he leaves. Okay, this is the night before he dies. And so on several occasions that night, he talks to the disciples about the need for the Spirit to come when he is gone. And this is in that passage. He's encouraging them. He's telling them what the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit will be in their life, how important it will be, how powerful it will be in the life of the apostles and those to follow. Now, when it comes to, to the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that's something we, we often don't think about very much. Um, we don't consider very often how the Spirit plays a role in our prayer or in our scripture reading uh, or our lives very, very much. And you know, some of that may be because of extremes we see. You know, there's uh, two sort of extremes. Either we, we ignore the Spirit altogether or we attribute ridiculous things to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and because we're afraid of either extremes, in the result is most Christians end up kind of ignoring it and what the role of the Spirit is in our life. But it's very important that we understand what he does and why he has been uh, given to us. So at the, the top, we want to first kind of establish who he is and what he does and why that is to try and connect that to what we're, we're talking about here. So amongst the places where we read John 16, we just read, um, I think in the first question, I give you a few verses there, which you might want to refer to. John chapter 14, Jesus mentions to us about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 20, in the Great Commission, he talks to us about the, the Spirit. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 5, he talks to us uh, about things. Now, in, in those verses, so John 14, 18, Matthew 28, Hebrews 13, 5, listen, you may need to look at them, maybe not, to answer the question uh, and to think about this, but how does Jesus make some promises or makes a promise in those verses. 
how does the Spirit relate to the promise that Jesus made? First, what's the promise Jesus made? And then what does that mean in relation to the Holy Spirit? Any of those verses, you'll be able to find out what the promise is. Yes? He will never leave us. Okay, so all of those verses I've listed there, and, and many others, say he is not going to leave us. Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you, but forsake you. Matthew 28, um, uh, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, so they all tell us that Jesus made a promise, he is not going to leave us. Yet, in verses like John 14, where he says he's not going to leave, and Matthew 28, where he says he's going to be with us always, in both of those places, the next day he leaves. So, what does he mean? How does the Spirit relate to that promise? How can Jesus not be lying and still not be here now? Sure, yes, so he's present with us as we, we ask him and as we seek him. More specifically, what does the Spirit have to do with this promise? That's right, so he tells us that the comforter will come. So the answer to the promise is the Spirit. So when Jesus says he is not going to leave us, that he is always going to be with us, and that when he goes, the Spirit will come, the Spirit is the answer to that promise. When Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans, or I will not leave you comfortless, he says, I will send the Spirit. When he says, I am with you always, the Spirit comes, and the Spirit is with us always. Jesus didn't mean a kind of a general distant pre presence, but he promised a real, personal closeness. So this presence of God is expressed by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the presence of, of God. It's the answer to that question that he's going to be present. So... Um, one verse I've listed there, but there's a number of them you may, may know. How, what is our relationship to the Holy Spirit then? So if Jesus says, I'm going, but the Spirit is coming, what is the relationship of the believer to the Spirit? Yes? That's right. So he says, 1 Corinthians 6 says, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt. We often use that term, we're indwelt by the Spirit. But the Spirit makes his abode within us. Right? So the Spirit comes. So in this current time, in, in, in this age, so between when Christ was here and when he returns, the Spirit is the most personal presence of God that we have. He is our very real present uh, God within us. Now that's that is absolutely true, and it's one of the fundamentals of our, our faith, that the Spirit abides with the believer. 
And so we have a relationship with God through the indwelling presence of the Spirit within every single believer. Do we have an effect on that relationship? So that's, I think, the third question, which I said, what influence do, do we have in our relationship with the Spirit? So what influence do I have on the relationship with the indwelling Spirit within me? That's right, yes. Yep. So we're told in, uh, in places like uh, Ephesians 4.30 that we can grieve the Spirit, uh, sadden Him. Uh, 1 Thessalonians tells us that we can uh, quench the Spirit, that is, not give Him the power, the influence in our life that He could or should have. Are there other ways that we can influence the relationship that we have with the Spirit in our life. There's a couple of verses listed there as well if you want to have a look and, and check. So we've had two which are, I guess, kind of negative things to it. We can grieve and quench the Spirit. Can we have any sort of positive influence here? Or is it all negative? Yes. We can yield. So we can surrender ourselves, we can yield to the Spirit. Uh, in other places like Ephesians 5, it's uh, called being filled with the Spirit. So where we follow His lead, where we are sensitive to what He has for us. So yeah, we can, we can yield ourselves or be filled by the Spirit. We can uh, quench or grieve the Spirit. Acts says we can even resist the Spirit uh, in His life. So there is a way in which it is a very real relationship that we have with the Spirit of God within our lives. It can be influenced and affected. And that is true even in our prayer life. If all of these things can happen, if we can resist or we can yield and we can be filled with the Spirit and we can uh, submit and all those things, that is as much true in every part of our life as it is in prayer. In Romans Eight. Actually, I might go there. We're going to look in Romans 8 a couple of times uh, tonight, but in where else? Romans 8. There's some familiar verses in there, I think, that we often come to when we talk about prayer. Uh, but in Romans 8, verse 26, and this is one of those familiar verses, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So here, and amongst some of the other verses we'll see, real prayer. So the type of prayer we're looking for, this prayer which is satisfying, this prayer which is God-glorifying, this prayer which is full of worship, uh, which genuinely works like James says prayer should work, cannot happen without the Spirit. The Spirit is an essential part of our true prayer lives. So it's not just a matter of, of reading the Bible and working hard to get it. Okay, so we started last week and we said, when you pray, open your Bible, start there, find this. So, so this type of prayer isn't just open your Bible, list a whole bunch of things about God, and then just make it work. It's more than that. It can't be less than that. 
This, we, we have to open our Bible. We have to find out who God is. Start there. But it's more than that. It, it's not just about working hard. So worship-based prayer brings us to a place where we are more sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. It, it makes me listen. It makes me see how to follow and understand. Uh, it, it truly transforms our life. We talk about the work of the Holy Spirit within us and how the Holy Spirit transforms and makes us more like Christ. Well, one of the foundational ways that Christ makes the, or the Spirit makes us more like Christ is through the transformation that he brings in our life as we pray like this, as we worship and let the Spirit lead us through that. So let's, let's look, at, we look at this idea of opening our eyes. Uh, let's look, another place we're going to look a little bit is in 1 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So the question I've got there is what makes prayer such a unique and different experience? It is what, what makes it such a powerful thing? Why is prayer so important within the Word of God for the believer? Now we'll put this in its context in, in just a moment, but 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So, from what we're told in, in that verse, what, what is it that makes prayer such a significant thing, such an important part, such a unique thing for the believer? Well, that is true. No one play, prays like, like you do, and that's, that's true. It's meant to be a deeply personal thing. So he describes two, two aspects in, in that verse, right? So at the beginning, verse 11 says, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? What's that mean? Anybody have any idea what he means there? Right? Nobody knows what's inside you except you. Right? You know what you're thinking. You can think stuff and nobody else is going to know it. You know what's inside. Nobody knows what's in you but you. Because it's you. And so he builds on that, the second part. Uh, even so, so just like that, just like nobody knows what's inside you but you, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So who knows the mind of God? The Spirit. Spirit knows the mind of God, right? So what makes prayer a unique and powerful thing is that this is not something that is uh, a mental capacity or a physical capacity. This is entirely spiritual. We, as people, are now, through the work of the Holy Spirit within us, able to hear the mind of God. What does God think? What is God like? God is telling us. He's not keeping secrets. And so in prayer, as we come to the word of God with the spirit in prayer, the spirit opens our minds and our eyes to understand who God is and what he is like. 
And you can't do that on your own. Only God knows what's in God. So the Spirit reveals it to you. So you can understand who He is. So as our hearts are brought into harmony with the Spirit, He enables us to worship more fully. And so as I look, and, and maybe you, you had this experience as you tried this this week, and as you opened up the psalm and you started reading, you began looking for the things of God. And the more you tried it, the more you began to see who God was, and then your mind began to open and see more things and, and begin to run from that scripture to other scriptures, and you began to understand just a little bit more. You know, sadly for, for many, when we talk about the leading of the Spirit or, or the, the guiding of the Spirit or, or being filled with the Spirit, for many, our minds immediately go to you know, a, a feeling or an experience. Uh, and for some, it's th that idea that without that feeling or experience, then I haven't known the Spirit. Um, I was told once that uh, by a person that our church wasn't Spirit-filled. That is, there was no Spirit in our church. The Spirit was not there. And the Spirit wasn't there because we didn't do any weird stuff. We didn't speak in tongues. We didn't do any odd stuff. We didn't have some special feeling. And so that person said, clearly the Spirit is not in your church. And that's the sad reality of how too many people, and in, in fact, really the broad range of Christianity now, it's become so well accepted that the presence of the Spirit means some sort of feeling or experience that you must have. And that's not at all what we mean here when we talk about being filled with the Spirit or being led by the Spirit. It's something far more deep than that. But at the same time, for some of us, and uh, I speak here from experience, for some of us, we need to be a lot more open to what the Spirit can do and far less closed off. You know, th th and what I mean by that is, yes, there are extremes where ridiculousness is attributed to the Holy Spirit. And that is not an excuse to ignore him. And that is not an excuse to think that it has to be the opposite end where it's almost nothing. The work of the Spirit in our life is deeply personal and can be tremendously powerful without being ridiculous, without having to attribute to Him things which clearly aren't Him. The Spirit's work is so much more than that, so much more significant than that. So let's start to put some of this together a little bit as we come to the word, the spirit, and worship. So we know, as we began last week uh, with our discussion, that prayer is best begun, uh, our deep prayer is best begun with an open Bible. Open it, read it. Listen to God speak and respond from there. So... If we take that idea, so if the idea is that prayer is best begun with an open Bible, and then 
add to this the idea now that we have the spirit indwelling in us. What is the significance of that? What, what is the, the benefit there? Why, if the spirit is in me, do I need to open the scriptures and start there? How do those two things connect? right. The Bible is the word of God and the spirit is God within us. The spirit then takes the word of God and he uses it. He uses what is written here for us. He takes these truths and he uses them to fuel our worship. To help us understand scripture is, is a wonderful thing and the spirit is able to uniquely do that. How, how is it that the Spirit is able to uniquely and powerfully use the Word of God to enable our worship and our prayer? What makes Him uniquely able to do that? Okay, yes. That's right, so He knows the things of God. Because He is God, so He has the mind of God. Now, let's get take that one step further, right? so he is God, he knows the mind of God, so he can uh, open that up to us. Now, what is the Spirit's relationship to the Bible that we're opening to read? Yes, yes. Indeed, that is, that is one very important part of it. Right? We call that inspiration that the Spirit led the men who wrote Scripture. So the Spirit is, as a way to describe it, the author of Scripture. So he knows what's in it. He knows why it was written. He knows why it was written a certain way. Uh, I don't know about you. Some of you may have. I did, um, I did half a year of English literature in high school, and that was far more than I could handle drove me absolutely bonkers because we'd read a book and then we'd get asked stupid questions like what do you think the author meant and we'd get a thousand different answers not a thousand because there's only 30 in the class <laughs> we get all these different answers about what we thought drove me mad because i don't care what you think of what the author meant i want to know what did the author actually mean when he wrote the bible or when he wrote that book when we come to Scripture, that's exactly what we have. Right? Scripture is the author, the Spirit is the author of Scripture. So I don't have to guess. Right? I do need help and I do need guidance, but I have the author living within me to guide, to teach, to enlighten. And he's there. So we, we have him as the author. In fact, 1 Corinthians tells us not only is he the author of scriptures, but he is our teacher. He illuminates it to us. That is, he makes it understandable. Right? It, it, as we delve into it, as we read it, the spirit within us who wrote the scriptures helps us to understand scripture. 
two scriptures which go hand in hand are uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 and Ephesians 5, 18. So I'll, I'll read them both. I think you'll, you'll know the similarities here. Colossians 3 and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Okay, so there, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then it grows into this, into wisdom, into singing, into teaching one another. Ephesians 5 sheds a little more light on this, or adds a little different detail to it. So Ephesians 5, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So both of the contexts are the same. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, Paul is talking about the same issue. Colossians 3, he tells us, what do we need? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And it will come in, then it will come out in our teaching and our songs, in how we in interact with one another. In Ephesians, he says the exact same thing, but instead of saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Exact same thing. Result. In the exact same context, but in each one, he changes the word a little bit. Why? Because it's the same thing. To be filled with the word of God is to be filled with the Spirit. So, We've come to understand, because of modern Christianity, the idea of filling with the Spirit to mean something else. The Bible teaches that to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with God's Word. To let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Let it fill you. So God's Spirit takes God's Word and he ignites our heart, that is, he makes it come alive within us with the truth, and he shows us wisdom and truth, and he directs us, and he gives us focus, and he passion as we read it. And it's interesting that in both of those contexts, both Ephesians and Colossians, the context is not personal, although it has personal application, it's corporate. Right? So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then what happens? We sing together. We teach together. We learn. We grow. So as the Spirit works in us, it works through us. And we encourage and build up one another as the Spirit builds us. So let's go, go back here, and this will be the last scripture we come to. We've been here already. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll look at this just a little bit more as we kind of come to our, our closing thoughts here under what only the Spirit can, can give. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll, we'll start in verse, verse uh, let's start in verse 6, shall we? So, uh, well, that's 2 Corinthians, let me go back here. First Corinthians 2 
And yeah, we'll start here in verse 6. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, uh, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. There's uh, you know, an old saying, uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and expecting different results. And that's how we pray too often. If I just pray harder, if I just pray more, don't make any change, I just, just pray harder that something will be different. And it doesn't work that way. We've got to grow, we've got to learn, we've got to understand. Now here in 1 Corinthians 2, so often when we come particularly to um, verse 9, that's used to talk to us about heaven. And it's not talking about heaven there. It's true, there are things in heaven which we can't understand, which are beyond our understanding and all. So it certainly applies to heaven, but that's not his context here. He's speaking to us about God's wisdom, about the mind of God. There are things which we, we just can't understand. They are beyond our understanding of what God has for us. So in this passage, he has two things he, he emphasizes really in these verses. One is that true wisdom can't be attained in natural ways, from a humanly, human, uh, humanly discovered. But true wisdom is divinely revealed. So that's what he's getting across in that passage. One, you can't find true wisdom on your own. It has to be revealed by God. So that's the purpose of, of those, those verses there. So, verse 9, he's not talking about heaven, but about the wisdom or the knowledge of God that he has for believers. There is things beyond our capability to understand or even know or even to imagine that God has that he can reveal as we understand who he is. So, the point is that the natural senses can't discern spiritual truth. We need something more. So, verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. First, God must reveal his truth, his wisdom, and he's done that in the Scriptures. The Spirit is the author of the Scriptures. 
And because the, the scriptures, because the Bible is a spiritual book, I can't come to it naturally and try and fight my way through it and figure it out. I need someone to help me understand it. I need to be illumined. Martin Luther said the Bible cannot be understood simply by study or talent. You must count only on the influence of the Holy Spirit. This, he didn't say that the Bible can't be understood by, or that we shouldn't have study or talent. That is certainly there, but it can't only be understood by study or talent. To truly understand it, we need more than that. We need the Spirit. We need Him. So, we come here, if we're going to truly pray, we have to pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? There's a quote down the side of your notes there from Thomas Goodwin, who is one of the, the old Puritan pastors. It says, The Holy Spirit, who is the intercessor within us and who searches the deep things of God, doth offer, prompt, and suggest to us in our prayers those very things that are in God's heart. To grant the things we desire of him, so it is often come to pass that a poor creature is carried on to speak God's very heart to himself, and then God cannot, nor doth not, deny it. It is if I'm going to God and I'm asking God for what God desires, he can't say no to that, can he? Because it's what God wants. So the Spirit takes the word of God and helps us understand who God is so that then I can go to God and know what to ask for instead of just guessing and then wondering why I don't get my prayers answered the way I want. But when I start with the scriptures and let the Spirit teach me, then when I go to God, I already know what God is thinking because I've been told. I've been told what God is thinking. The Spirit is vital to our worship. You know, this is one of the things, you know, why, yes, have prayer lists and keep those so you know what's going on in people's lives and you know what needs to be prayed for. But maybe you found this during the week as you opened up the Psalms and you, that you began to see as you, you prayed and as you worshiped and as you focused on aspects of God that as you prayed for those things and you began to think on God, maybe you began to see, I can see how that relates to that situation. I can see how knowing God like this can help my brother over here. And how knowing God like this can help the sister over here. And so I move from going from here's what I have to pray for let me start with God and as I start with God God then takes what's already in my mind and what's already there and the needs I already know and he guides me in how to deal with those things right so so you you probably know this as well as I do the best way to know how to pray for people is not a list the best way to know how to pray for people is by talking to people because Right, we, we ask each week and, and we do whatever, what do we have to pray for? And we'll get a few things here and there and, and we have the usual stuff. But when we talk, 
I find out what's going on at your work or how you're struggling or what's going on in your life or what's weighing heavy on you or what you're rejoicing in because we're interacting and we're free. And as I do that, now I'm learning you and then I go to scripture and I learn God and then the spirit puts the two together. So I don't have to worry that today I didn't pray for every single need that I know is on my list. I started and I let God guide me. Later on during the day, I've got plenty of free time where I can check my list and go, you know what, I'm going to pray for them now. But if I start with a scripture and I let God through the Spirit lead me, my prayers look a lot different than when I start with a list. Right? So don't throw away the list. Keep the list because you need to know what's going on in people's lives. But don't start with it. Let the Spirit lead you. I spend a lot of time. This is one of the reasons why I have tea here. It's because I know I talk too fast. And I haven't been drinking my tea, so I've been talking too fast and going too long. And so I have little things to help me remember so that I can communicate better. For a, a long time, for a while, you know, in other places. So when I was at Gospel, we had a lot of Arabic-speaking people. And uh, then at Cambridge, we had, for a while, we had a lot of Chinese-speaking people who, you know, that was their first language, and they were still learning English. And so I spoke too fast and didn't think. So I, I, I learned how to slow down, and I'm still learning that, and how to communicate things differently so that you can understand. This is where the Spirit comes in to help you. We have a supernatural teacher who can take Scripture and help us understand it. It's great, isn't it, that you know, the question, I think the last question there is about the, the armour of God. In Ephesians 6.18 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's usually where we stop with the armour of God. But that's not the end of the sentence. The sentence continues directly into verse 19. So take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always in the Spirit. Right? They link directly into it. Because the word of God and prayer are always connected. They are vitally connected to one another. Your armour of God is not fully prepared if it's not having prayer. Prayer is an important part of it. So the Spirit enables us to pray effectively. And don't let itself run on autopilot. You know, sometimes we go, and this will be my last thought before we finish, because I know I've rambled for a while. We go to things like Romans 8, verse 26. We go there to a verse which tells us that um, the Spirit knows our mind, and when we, we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit can, can intercede for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And we, we go there and we think, well, you know, there's so many times where I just don't, I don't know what to say, but that's okay because the Spirit knows what I want to say. 
And it's true that sometimes there are things which affect us so deeply that we just don't know how to deal with them. We don't fully understand. Or we're so overwhelmed with the awesomeness of God that we, we just don't know how to put it into words. Because that's clearly something that can happen. We see something in, and we're just overwhelmed by how awesome God is and we just don't know how to do it. The problem is, is when we take verses like Romans 8, 26 and we use it as a catch-all. I don't know what to pray, but the Spirit knows what I want to say. The job of the Spirit is to teach us what to say. So the more we spend time in God's Word and the more we are led by the Spirit in our prayers, the less we will have prayers where we just don't know what to say. We will have the words. We will have the understanding. Because we've let the Spirit lead us in the Word of God. And our prayers will be satisfying, enjoyable, and not just run on autopilot. But be genuinely enjoyable. Again, on the back page, there's a, a couple of, of things you can, can put into practice this, this week and, and try and exercise those those things. But again, if you didn't do it last week or you didn't do it very much, try again this week and just grab a psalm and sit down and let the Spirit open up the Scriptures for you. Look for God. Look for who God is in that passage and begin simply by worship. And I will almost guarantee you, if you not almost, I will guarantee you if you stick with it you, you don't give up power. This is so hard. And, and, it, and it, it can be hard in the beginning. I guarantee you, if you stick with it, you will naturally begin to see how that scripture connects with a need of you or someone in your life. I guarantee it. And you will find new ways to pray for long-term problems. And short-term problems. When you start... Is there anything?